the history in polyam and pow's podcast in association with the history corner dot org podcasts articles reviews greetings One must not get one's knickers in a twist. So, before I get started, something happened this week, something exciting. There was a permanent association agreement between the History Emporium and POWs and the History Corner. Now, I have Chris here. Um, would you like to explain more about what's happened? Uh, I can do, yeah. Um, so, me and Ollie have obviously been working together um, a couple of weeks now. Um, it's been going really well for both our, both our kind of... Um, sites, podcasts, Instagrams, etc. And we, we figured it, it would probably be just the right time and the right move to kind of combine the two together and, um, you know, become kind of uh, partners or associates at least. And, uh, and hopefully we can uh, kind of take on the world together rather than separately. Definitely. The history community um, via Instagram and social media has been nothing but positive, which is mm. very nice because social media kind of gets a bad rap for yeah um being quite a negative place to be um but i think if there's a common interest there then everyone kind of like bands on together which is really nice um so yeah i'm very excited to um have this sort of permanent association with the history corner um and uh it means i get to do a bit of writing which i've not done for a while as well so i've got some stuff that's come out on um the history corner if anyone wants to check it out um I've done two articles so far. Um, I've got another one in the pipeline. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of churning out podcasts and, 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 and writing a lot at the moment. I will have to slow down at some point before I sort of <laughs> die a death of tiredness. But um, yeah, it's really exciting. And I am I'm honoured to be in collaboration with you, Chris. So it's great. Likewise. It's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the future. Yeah, definitely. Um so moving on to today's episode, we're talking all things the Stuarts. Um, there's so much to cover in this topic. Um, so it's going to be split into two episodes. So this is part one of a two-part episode. So, um, I mean, you've already spoken, but I would like to introduce again my co-host for today, Chris Riley. Welcome back. Hello, all. Hello. <laughs> we need to get um, like official catchphrases. We like do. I need a, I need an intro. Now I'm here on a mm. semi-permanent basis and we're now 
business partners. I don't even have one. Like, I've never had one. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Hi. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of jump straight in there. I have got so much information on the Stuart period. Now, the Stuart period is something that I didn't realise I liked as much as I have. <laughs> Once I've sort of delved into it a bit more, I'm like, I'm going off on... Um, uh, sort of the rabbit hole of, 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 of research and it's it's exciting I'm excited to share this one so um, yeah you're you're gonna interview me and um, so yeah I'm just gonna throw it over to you Chris awesome yeah I mean for me the Stuarts as I've mentioned to to Ollie off um, off screen um, is not a topic I'm massively fond of I did it at a levels um, and I think that's potentially why uh, I found it quite dry and quite, you know, just a lot of stuff going on. I wasn't really a big fan of it, but hopefully I'm going to get my um, my mind changed today. But we should probably start with, like, who were the Stuarts? Obviously, we, we hear this name Stuarts thrown around. Who who are the Stuarts and, and where did they come from? Uh, so when we talk about the Stuart period, we're typically referring to 1603 to 1714. So mm. just over 100 years. Um, the Stuarts... Um, had a long dynasty prior to the Stuart period in British history, um, north of the border. So they were Scottish. Um, right. Yeah. So again, it gets quite confusing. A lot of people with the same names, but I'll try and explain it the best I can. So the first English Stuart king was James the first, who was son of Tudor rival Mary Queen of Scots and her husband Henry Stuart also known as Lord Darnley. So we've got Mary Queen of Scots, Lord Darnley, had James I. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, Mary Queen of Scots, as we know, was famously sent to her death by her cousin Elizabeth I. Um, and Lord Darnley also came to a very suspicious end at what we think was at the hands of his wife prior to her dying. So uh, nothing is proven and the sources um are quite vague it, especially if there was a cover up it would be vague um but lord darnley um was staying in a, a country manor and he was said to have been strangled and then the lodging house was um blown up exploded wow yeah overkill yeah very dramatic very dramatic and that's what this is what i love about the steward period it, everything is very mm. over the top dramatic um, yeah, and I don't think you realise until you sort of delve into it, like I have done here, and it's—I mean, I find it fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. So Darnley um, was almost certainly gay. Um, he was mm. caught in a state of undress with his personal um, musician and his secretary, David Rizzo, um, who Mary was believed to have killed as well. So she was probably. A a bit me, uh, a, a bit annoyed that her husband was sort of having dalliances with, with men, and maybe that's why mm. he, um, his life was ended. But we're, I, we'll never know. Um, mm. uh, Darnley wasn't all sweetness and light, though. Um, he could be quite abusive towards Mary, um, and although she um, was the Queen of Scots, he was still king consort um, and a man most importantly. Mm. Um, so uh, maybe he was abusive to cover up his homosexuality and portray more of a stereotypical man. 
again, it's unclear. Yeah. These are all speculations, but it, it sort of points in that direction. Um, so that was James the first of England's parents. Um, yeah. James the first of England was James the sixth of Scotland. I'm going to refer to him as James the first, so we don't get confused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was the same person. Um, cool. He didn't know his parents very well or at all. Um, they died when he was young. So he had no, although he came from these very big, majestic characters, he didn't know them. Um, uh, he, uh, James also grew up to all, almost certainly be homosexual. Um, yeah. Uh, so he filled his court with what he called um, uh, a number of male lovelies. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, when you're in a court situation, sort of behind closed doors, it was quite common practice for people to to kind of know about these things. So people would have kind of known that he had sort of male companions um, it was just sort of the outsides of the walls. It was never allowed to be like spilled out into yeah. the public domain. Um, so uh, James again is a character that is full of contradictions. So on one hand, he doesn't hide that he's homosexual, um, but on the other hand, he punishes sodomy really harshly um, outside of the palace walls. So with flogging and the stocks. Um, no one's killed for homosexuality mm. at this point, um, but it's frowned upon. Right. Um, just to get some context in there as well. So homosexuality, as we see it today, kind of wasn't a thing back then. So being gay wasn't a... There wasn't a word for it. Um, you kind of... Like, sexuality was a little bit more fluid. Right. So, I mean, even if you go back to the Roman and the Greek times, it was mm. women... Women for babies, men for pleasure. That was kind of the 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 consensus. But it sort mm. of changed later on down the line in the Victorian times um, and in the early 20th century. So um, James did father children, but he would rather spend time with um, his very good-looking male friends rather than his wife. Um, I mean, I'd, it must be awful being somebody's wife that... You kind of know that you've been married to someone who's not actually gonna like you in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's 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 upsetting to to hear it from both sides, really, because obviously you've got this chap that's, for all intents and purposes, you know, homosexual, gay, and he can't fully explore that part of his life as such. Because, like you quite rightly said, I, it wasn't a thing. It's not something that you could explore in the 17th century, but. Then on the other hand, you've got his 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 wife that you know is essentially being cuckolded by all these men. Yeah. That with no real there's no real answer to it because there's no understanding there. So it's it was probably quite a, quite a sad you know marriage. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean again, we've kind of got to put ourselves in the shoes of of people kind of didn't get married for love anyway. It was normally mm, of course an alliance of sort of two nations or, or two nobility or. Uh, two noble families, sorry. Um, for a man to be gay was almost more accepting than a woman to be gay. Mm. Um, 
I mean, famously, Queen Victoria, like sodomy, and that was a was a was a law that was introduced in the Victorian times, but it didn't apply to women because it didn't because there was no no, no intercourse could yeah. take place. So it's almost like um, if you were a lesbian, it didn't count. <laughs> which is wow. bizarre yeah absolutely yeah. and queen victoria just openly said she didn't believe in it like it's not it's not a thing move mm. on <laughs> it's only wow. men that can do these things so um anyway i digress but it's it's relevant so yeah of course um so that's kind of like where the that's kind of the start of the steward 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 not a steward <laughs> steward um uh, dynasty so they're full of amazing characters um mm. and i'll talk about other players later on um so i've i've got a little fun fact for you um, go for it so this is facts. the time where uh tobacco and that was kind of getting um uh, very common um chewing tobacco was very common and also smoking tobacco became very yeah. popular um and james the first quite unfashionably hated smoking and was a, like a keen advocate for people not to do it around him wow so, yeah. man, be- man before his time yeah absolutely so that's my little fun fact mm. um, trend setting about james um james is quite famous prior to him becoming james the first so when he was in scotland um uh he there was a massive uh, witch trial um, scenario going on so I'll talk about that um, a little bit later on cool I think before we go any further I think it's how did we end up with a a, a Scottish king on the throne of England like that seems quite jarring Consider, obviously I know previously we've had some like what 50 years of pretty uh, pretty solid rule from Elizabeth but then obviously she didn't have any children she didn't marry so how did we get to this point so Mary Queen of Scots and Elizabeth I were cousins. So right. they were all related um, down the, the Tudor line um, by Henry VIII. Um, and Mary Queen of Scots was descended from one of Henry VIII's um, siblings. Right. So it sort of went down the line, down the line, down the line. And she was the nearest to the throne. So then her children... So James the first mm. became heir to the throne, um, which was something that a lot of people did not want to happen. So uh, we see the the Scottish and the English um, monarchy very separate, but it was all very interrelated. Um, people married people off um, from the same families. So yeah, that's that's how we got James. Right. Okay, um, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you you mentioned a kind of a key 17th century word a minute ago with witches. Obviously, it's kind of synonymous with um, with the Stuart period. So do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the witch trials? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're going to rewind a little bit here because the witch trials took place before James became James I. He was James VI of Scotland. So this predominantly happened in Scotland and sort of spilled over into England later on. So, uh, during the late 1500s, Scotland believed that the devil was at work. 
basically. Um, we are in a time of, of strong religion here. Um, mm. This idea had swept over from Europe um, and it was believed that the devil had the ability to raise storms, kill livestock and spread deadly illness. Um, and it was Satan's um, mission and his task to undermine human society from within. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Just what you want. I know. He sounds quite fun to me. I'm up for it. Yeah. Um, I'd go for a pint. Yeah, 100%. So um, the the people who were kind of the devil's vessels, shall we say, um, were deemed mm. as witches. Okay? Right. So uh, this craze uh, sort of spread over from uh, from... France predominantly. So Scotland and France that we've spoken about before have quite a very uh, they have a strong connection and they always have. Um, yeah. So it kind of jumped um, from there over into Scotland. It kind of missed England for a little bit um, and it was the belief of uh, James that they had to do something they had to eradicate sort of sin and evil from the country and um, because, of course, um, who wouldn't want to rid the country of evil or, or, or people who were for causing trouble? So ha we've got to remember what time we're in. So we're at the time where they've seen uh, massive change in um, Catholicism and the Protestant faith. So we're, we're still mm. under sort of the, um, the section of um, the Reformation the, the church reformation so yeah. this is kind of where it all stems from so in my mind reading between the lines when I've been doing all the research it's kind of tit for tat so it's well they did this and they did this so it's kind of trying to prove which is the most superior religion um, yeah. and sort of grassing on each other so for those of you that don't know what grassing is it's kind of like just telling on people sort of uh, telling, <laughs> telling on your neighbours um, and uh, just accusing people. So a bit like rubbernecking, like brown nose and all that kind of stuff. Like people sticking their nose in where it's not wanted, really. Yeah. Don't be a grass. If you yeah. take anything from this podcast, it's not to be a grass. That must be a very <laughs> British thing to say, isn't it? I think. Yeah. yeah. It's snitching in America. Like snitching, sn yeah. Snitches get stitches and all that. Yeah. I'm not condoning violence at all, mm, I for, don't the, for the record. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, uh, Scotland uh, began its witch trials and its witch hunts. So, people would actively go out of their way to search for these witches. So, there were flare-ups. So, this happened over a longish period of time. So, from about 1590 to about... 16 um 03 so kind of just before wow. yeah so quite a long period of time then yeah yeah so that yeah there were flare and there, i mean there were even flare-ups when he was james the first of england um and to me it basically seemed like people were trying to if they didn't like someone they were like yeah she's a witch and yeah i don't like her or she she looked at me funny, like she's definitely a witch. Um, 
so yeah, I, there, there was panic. There was panic throughout the country and people genuinely believed that people wanted to do them harm. Witches wanted mm. to do them harm. So, surprise, surprise, can you guess what the majority of the sex of these people were? I'm going to guess just from what witches are associated with now that it's definitely women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. 99.9% of them were women, although there were men um, that were... Um, accused as well but it was predominantly women and women who were elderly um, who were a bit strange um, people who potentially had dementia um, as we would see it now so they didn't know about that so it was seen as a madness Um, so obviously people who have dementia this horrible illness um, that we that we recognize now um, could potentially be traced back to why people were acting in a bizarre way. They were forgetting things. Mm. They were taking things that weren't necessarily theirs. Um, but yeah, in that day and age, they were seen as a witch. And that was that was what you were going to be tried for. Um, mm. So uh, it got so severe that a, um, a parliament was called in Scotland and it had... Um, been criminalised. So there was the Witchcraft Act that came out in 1563 um, and that was before James's birth so he's sort of he's sort of going on uh, he's using this act that was put in place prior to his birth as right. uh, as, as a way of making it a capital offence. Okay. So he's terrified Everyone's terrified. There's lots of mm. panic. Um, and James I actually wrote a book called Demonology, which you can still buy today off Amazon. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, it's all in ye old English. Um, yeah. So I've not attempted to read it yet, but I'm, there must be a sort of a new English version of it. Um, and it basically explains the way that the devil operates in the world, um, how uh, people have... F- people have fallen angels and how they've become demons um, and demons make a pact with the devil all this kind of stuff like uh, harmful uh, harmful magic um, so according to James witchcraft was a uh, it was a secret conspiracy between humans and demons um, right and yeah it's I think it's like 599 off of Amazon um, still in publish to this day. So if anyone wants to read it and then tell me the basis <laughs> of it, that would be great. <laughs> uh, Chris, That's wicked. I, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea that he... Um, I know he he's kind of the the patron, the the, the author of the um, King James Bible, which we'll, we'll touch on later, I'm sure. But I didn't know he had anything to do with um, with writing on that. That's really cool. Mm. He was um, a busy what man. Were the actual, Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, he had, sounds like he had a productive um, reign, but the actual witch trials themselves, what, what did they entail? I'm assuming they were fairly, fairly bad and probably quite misplaced as well. Yeah, so uh, when you think of witch trials, so the Salem witch trials over in Massachusetts, America, are mm. very famous. They kind of overshadow um, this period of time, but it, it, it stemmed. So, so the witch trials in um, Salem were imported from exactly what was happening here. So a lot of the settlers um, in Massachusetts originally came from these places in Scotland. 
Um, so they kind of inherited that sort of fear of witchcrafts, witchcraft, sorry. Um, mm. So uh, we've all heard of the ducking stool. Um, if you haven't heard of the ducking stool, it's horrendous. You were basically tied to a sort of like a seesaw, I guess, would be my comparison to it. So you sat on one end, so the witch, sorry, would sit on one end and they would be dunked into freezing cold water um, for long periods of time. Um, if uh, if they drowned, um, they were seen as innocent. If they didn't drown, they were seen as witches and then they would be tried and um, predominantly in this country, they weren't burnt. They were um, hanged. Um, the burning was a very uh, American uh, thing. I say American, it was British people living in America at the mm. time. Um, so yeah, just really horrendous things. I mean, there's tales of, of, of people uh, telling on their their mothers, their their nans, their aunties, their sisters. Um, you can just imagine a stroppy uh, teenager having a row with her mother, potentially, and then declaring her a witch um wow we've we've all we've all done that line haven't we when we're younger like i'm going to phone child line on you yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff yeah. so yeah uh, obviously the 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 sort of outcome was very severe for these people mm. so um uh yeah thousands of people were tried i don't have the exact numbers um to hand um, but absolutely thousands of people were tried. Not many were killed. Um, a lot of it was mm. dismissed as um, sort of tattletale and, and hearsay and all that. But some people genuinely lost their lives over um, arguably nonsense. Um, mm. But yeah, it must have been a very scary time to be alive. If you were a woman yeah. at a certain age... Or, or you're a bit eccentric or a bit odd, um, yeah. So that's yeah, that's kind of our James the 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 six prior to him um, becoming king of England. So when he did become king of England, it was kind of seen as um, a bit silly by the English nobility, and they were a bit like, "Well, you can't do that here." So it was kind of swept <laughs> under the rug. And yeah. um, we, we we don't we don't do that here. Yeah, down south. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the divide has been there for a long time. But um, yeah, so that's yeah. where we are um, with 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 witchcraft and James the first. Cool. So yeah, fast forwarding a little bit to when when James the sixth becomes James the first and sixth, um, we can't really talk about the Stuarts and not mention Guy Fawkes and the Gunpowder Plot. Obviously, most people are aware that we need to remember, remember the 5th of November. But I wondered if you could just give us a little bit more context and detail around that. Yeah, absolutely. Us. So uh, we all know the line, as you said, remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. Um, so James had not long been on the throne before he he started to upset the Catholics. So um, James was Protestant, by the way, I need to throw that in there, which is unusual for a Scottish king. Um, mm. at the time so he was raised as a protestant which is why he gained the throne in the first place um yeah he was he was the right breed i guess um so 
the Catholics appear to have been unimpressed um, with his failure to implement religious tolerance. Um, there had been this fighting, as we know, prior to this mm. of um, Catholics burning Protestants, Protestants burning Catholics, and so on and so forth. And it went on and on and on. Um, and he kind of agreed when he started that he was going to uh, sort of keep the keep keep the peace um but his his kind of failure to implement this um kind of annoyed them and especially when he um banished all the catholic priests <laughs> he basically told them all to leave the country um wow yeah so this was really early on in his reign so we're talking a few years in. So he'd already kind of made his mark there mm. and um, annoyed a lot of people. So um, a group of uh, Roman Catholic nobles and gentlemen led by Robert Catsby conspired to essentially end Protestant rule and go back to Catholicism. Um, perhaps with the biggest bang, I guess, in history, literally. Um their plan was to blow up the king, the queen, church leaders, assorted nobles and both houses of parliament. How they were going to do this, I, I hear you cry. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they were going to go under the, um, uh, into the basement of um, Westminster Palace, which uh, is partially still there. Um, but mm. the new Houses of Parliament we see today were built in the Victorian times, so they didn't look like that. It was a hodgepodge of um, sort of medieval tunnels and cellars and um, quite a gothic-looking building. So it was more easy mm. to get underneath there sort of without being caught, potentially. Right. Um, so uh, 36 barrels of gunpowder were placed in the cellars beneath the Palace of Westminster, um, exactly where the king and his nobles were all going to were going to be on the fifth of November. Um, Guy Fawkes was said to have been caught at the scene. Now I say said to be caught at the scene because there is so much information flying around that he was a scapegoat and he wasn't even there, um, and he was. Uh, his face fitted the narrative. Right. Is that, is that because, from from my understanding about Guy Fawkes, is he was a kind of a militant Catholic that fought in Spain against kind of Protestants and he was an explosives expert and he was the one that, you know, got the gunpowder and knew what he was doing with the gunpowder. Is that, do you think, why? Is that a character we've created or is that quite accurate? I would say that's a character that we've created because Guy Fawkes was actually right. born a Protestant. He was brought up. Wow. Yeah, he was brought up as a Protestant and he converted to Catholicism a lot later on. Um, or did he? <laughs> was he a scapegoat? This is the thing. Um, history is written by the victors. It is, yeah. So this is genuinely news to me as well. Like mm. I, I was not expecting this when I when I came on today. This is a uh, keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, under torture, Guy Fawkes identified the name of his co-conspirators. Um, many sort of re were relations of the Catholic um, uh, nobility. Um, so there was 
and I'm going to list them now. So there was Thomas per uh, Thomas Percy, um, and uh, three others uh, who were killed by soldiers when they were attempted to escape. So it wasn't just Guy Fawkes. There was other people there mm. as well, potentially, allegedly. Um, so the remaining eight were imprisoned. So Guy Fawkes was tortured and, and he was told to name all these people and he eventually named them. I mean, if you're being tortured, it's a great way of getting information out of somebody because they're just going to say anything to get you to stop. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you've seen the the famous um, signatures of Guy Fawkes. So there's um, two signatures. So there's one prior to him being tortured, and then there's a second one after he's been tortured. And his hands had been crushed, basically, and he couldn't write properly. So if well, you no. look that up, it's, it's horrendous. I'm going to Google it right now. Yeah. Look it up and you'll see the difference. So he's he signed a confession to say that, yes, he did this. And yes, he was trying to kill. The oh, kid. wow. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. The before That's quite and sad, that. Mm, yeah. So the before and after um, is is quite dramatic. Stark. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the remaining eight were imprisoned in the Tower of London before being tried and executed for high treason. Um, the the sort of the the quaint British method of execution, um, of choice. Um, do you know what it is? It's funny you should say that because on my on my Instagram, the on this day, um, for the twenty seventh of January, so a few days before this comes out, was the um start of the trials. Um, and I asked the question, um, what was the punishment used? And it's probably the worst way to go, and it's to be hung until you were just about still conscious. You were split down the middle, all of your entrails were pulled out, burnt alive in front of you, you were probably castrated, and then you were cut into four pieces. Yeah. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't imagine a worse, a worse way to go, really. Yes, um, that was a very British thing to do. That was off mm. of our own heads. Um, awful way to go um so so they were hung drawn and quartered um uh, so often after this would have happened their heads would have been placed on spikes and um left basically to rot for everyone to see that this is what happens if you are a traitor mm. um guy fawkes um, was also killed in this way. He became the most famous one because he was said to have been the leader um, of of the pack as it was. Now, I can't help but think there's a bit of a conspiracy theory going on here. So, mm. uh, James I is, is Protestant. He obviously comes from a very uh, Catholic background. It's almost a ploy to see that actually the Catholics are they're they're awful people and look what they tried to do to your king, terrible. Like why would they? So, do you think this is a conspiracy? Um, is this breaking news? I don't think it's breaking news. I think it's been around for a while, but because um... this is this is genuinely news to me. I only know the kind of the Mickey Mouse story of the gunpowder plot and. 
I didn't know there was kind of rumblings of, hmm, was this as it seems and everything. So that's, wow, that's, um, well, that's, yeah, that changes things, I guess, when, I mean, you, when you know that side of it. And to this day, we, bizarrely, on the 5th of November, mm. we stuff our clothing to look like a human being and we throw it on a bonfire and watch and applaud. It's so weird. <laughs> like, it's such a weird custom to have. And I think it all stems back from um, Protestants are good, Catholics are bad. Mm. Um, yeah. And, it's... yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad tale. It's a sad tale. I think it's sad. Um, I could be completely wrong, and Guy Fawkes could be as guilty as anything, but I've got a little soft spot for him. So, um, and if you look up the the pictures and the paintings of him, um, he always looks very dapper in his hat. It's one thing I've always noticed. Yeah. He's definitely a very hat. stylish period of history. Yeah. So, very, um, yeah. I've got another interesting fact um, about Guy Fawkes. Go for it. So, um, I only found this out when I was researching this episode. Um, a local man. Um, who lives in my area is a direct descendant of one of the plotters. So Everard Digby was um, one of the plotters who was killed, um, and mm. his um, relation, um, I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> um, Mr. Digby, <Yeah. laughs> um, who I have asked to come on the show. So I'm wow. waiting for a reply from him. Um, which would be amazing. And do you know what he does as a be. job? Which is, I find really funny. Um, he's an MP or a firework maker? No, well, he's a firefighter. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I wasn't too far off with my silly yeah. joke. So, um, wow. watch this space. Hopefully I'll be able to get one of the um, descendants of one of the um, plotters on the actual show. That's really cool. I know. Hopefully, that would, be, uh, that would be awesome. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Strange times yeah. at the moment. I'm sure he's very busy doing his um, essential work at the moment. But yeah, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Um, cool. So we've we've touched on religion kind of throughout this episode so far. But I thought it'd be worth you know delving into a little bit Catholic versus Protestant at this time. What what does that look like, and what did it mean to people? Yeah. So that's a great question, and it kind of um, oversees this period and the, the the sort of dynasty before. So um James mm. I was a Protestant from birth, um and he was he was said to have been the peacekeeper of two faiths. Now we know from what I've said earlier that wasn't necessarily true. Um however largely he was. There wasn't any significant issues when James I was on the throne. Um it's when Charles his son, Charles I, gained the throne that it gets very messy, okay? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Charles I, bless him, he was... I say bless him, I'm not sure that's the, the right the right wording, but, yeah, there was a lot going on in his lifetime. Um, so, at the time, um, the the Catholic faith was, was feared by the crown, Um because there'd been such upheaval um, 
prior to this event. So um, Charles's father, James I, um, had been the target of the gunpowder plot in 1605. Um, so that sort of rendered Catholics bad, very bad. Right. Um, Charles I married Henrietta Maria. So she was a Roman Catholic from France. So you mm. can imagine what the British people were feeling. Yeah. Uh- that's two things that historically we're not the biggest fans of at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. F- uh, France and Catholicism. No. Yeah. <laughs> so so he goes and marries uh, Henrietta Maria. Um, and Parliament kind of feared that this was a um, a sign that he sympathised with the Catholics. Um, and that he mm. was going to be influenced by his wife on his religious policies. Um, so the Archbishop of Canterbury... Um, uh, was fuming basically um, mm. because he believed that they were, they were going back to Catholicism and it was just going to end horrendously. You've got to remember a lot of people had lived through this really turbulent time. They'd, they'd lived over from the crossover from the, 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 the Tudors into the Stuarts and then the witch trials and then the gunpowder plot and, and, there was no rest. It was kind of everyone was watching their backs. Um, yeah. So at this time, when so when Charles I is on the throne, you've got many MPs that were Puritans. Um, now, Puritans play a massive part in the, the, the Stuart period. So Puritans were basically, mm. um, they were Protestant extremists. Um, they believed in a very simple way of life um, and a very um, uh, non-extravagant way of life. However, Mm. it was all double standards because a lot of them were living in these very fancy um, manor houses with lots of ornate gold and there was that sign of of wealth and and Roman Catholicism still there. But anyway, they were were deeming themselves as Puritans. Okay? So... They also thought that Charles wanted to make um, England Catholic again, okay? So Charles believed in the divine right of kings. So if anyone doesn't know what that means, it means that this is basically the idea that God has chosen him to be king and that Parliament had a less important role in government. Uh, And this was a very uh, Catholic way of thinking. So famously, you've got Louis XIV over in um, France, who is building the Palace of Versailles. He believed in the divine right of kings and that actually, why should he answer to anyone but God? Because God had put him there. So anyone less than that, which was Parliament, and especially the Protestant Parliament, why did he have to listen to what they said? Because he was in charge. This is mm. where the downfall of Charles begins. Um, because right. he basically thought that he was closer to God than anyone else. Wow, okay. And that's a stark contrast to the the kind of the Protestant feeling at the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. There's so much information on this. Um, I'm going to leave it there for now. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's a massive topic that you know we could do. We could spend hours discussing. As this whole period is, it's such a huge, uh, huge period of, of of upheaval and change. Um, so we've touched on Charles the First. 
uh, a little bit, who is obviously the the son of uh, James the First. He wasn't the first in line, was he? He wasn't his. Um, he wasn't always to be Charles the First. Am I right? He had an older brother called Henry. He did, who died. Um, yeah. Prematurely. Um, so mm. ironically, he believes that he's been chosen by God, but actually, he was the second born. <laughs> so yeah. he wasn't necessarily chosen by God, although his brother's death was potentially a sign in his eyes from God that he was the meant to be king and not his brother. Awesome. Um, cool. So Charles I, especially for me anyway, has quite a bad reputation. Um, he's seen as this pretty pretty bad king that kind of caused one of the greatest uh, upheavals in English history, the, the English Civil War, but... Am I am I reading too much into it? Was Charles really this bad, or you know, is it just it was kind of going to happen anyway? Yeah. So there's a lot of information on this, so I will do my best to um, get across <laughs> without waffling on for hours. So, as we know, Charles I was born um, a Protestant. He uh, became heir to the throne on the death of his brother, Prince Henry. Um, he succeeded as a second Stuart King. Okay. So they're the facts there. Mm. Um, Charles's personality was not very likeable from what I can gather so he was self-righteous he had a high concept of royal authority believing in the divine right of kings um, he believed basically that he was better than everyone else and he was a bit of a snob so he would look down on right. people um, and he would sneer at people quite a lot um, and just not make people feel very good about themselves when he was around them. Um, mm. His relationship with Parliament was absolutely terrible. So yeah. um, it broke down many times for many different reasons. So religion being one of them, um, foreign policy being another. Um, he wanted to limit Parliament's power. Um, uh, he... The public and the ministers basically believed that Charles was undermining their liberties and rights because he was the big boss. Why was anyone questioning mm. him? Um, he uh, set up a private court, which he called the Court of Star Chamber, which was basically to, to, to eradicate Parliament. So he kind of made his own mm. Parliament up. Um and he would listen to his ministers who were in the court of Star Chamber. Um, so Parliament complained about this because obviously Parliament were, were, they were kind of just sitting on the sideline waiting for Charles to um, make these decisions and they weren't involved in them. Um, so they complained in 1629 and he dismissed them. So he was just like, well, mm. I don't need you. Go away. Goodbye. Um, and there wasn't a parliament for 11 years. So he ruled wow. basically on his own with his own council for 11 years. And it was known as the 11 years tyranny. Okay. Hmm. So deep breaths. There's more. <laughs> um, so parliament still had quite a lot of control over money and the income. So Charles was angry about this because why should he have to ask people for money when he was the king so he needed mm. to raise money um so he basically implemented these old laws that had been sort of 
they've ceased to exist for a long time, um, such as sort of ship money. So he'd, he'd basically introduced taxes uh, on ships and collect money from coastal towns, um, very similar to the Middle Ages, um, where he would basically take money uh, like a levy off of people yeah, um, because he needed money to sort of finance his, his fancy lifestyle. Um, yeah. And he basically made everyone pay in the country. Um, uh, so he started with the coastal towns and then he, he made everyone pay. Um, he'd also found a forgotten law that said anyone earning more than £40 a year had to be a knight, okay? So he started yeah. um, fining people who had not obeyed. So if if people were doing quite well for themselves and they were earning £40, but he hadn't knighted them, then he'd take all their money off of them because they weren't a knight and he hadn't given them the um, the ability to earn £40. Like You're not allowed to earn it because he hadn't knighted you. It's very bizarre. Um, mm. Yeah, That's a very... That's taking advantage of a situation, definitely. Because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like, well, you didn't come to me and tell me this. You know, how how can you be earning this money and not be a knight? Yeah. I must take this from you because you clearly don't deserve it. Wow. Yeah. So he was, he was annoying people. Um, yeah. Left, right, and centre. Um, to the point that up little sort of uprises started to begin so people people were mad okay and they were like mm. well what is he even doing here like we don't like him like he doesn't speak for the people um and then the whole idea of a um a non-monarchy sort of country became quite appealing to a lot of people so they were like well why mm. do we even need we need him and it's still a debate that's going on to this day <laughs> Do we need them? Yeah, do we not no, need is. them? Um, what do they do? What do they not do? What do they give? What do they not give? But at this time, Charles was openly exploiting his power. Um, mm. He had he had supporters uh, as well. He had very loyal supporters. So at this point, I'm going to introduce you to the Roundheads and the Cavaliers. Okay? Yeah. Um, let me get this the right way round. So the Roundheads... <laughs> were parliament roundheads for parliament that's it i don't know why yeah. they were called roundheads um haircut maybe they, maybe they had round heads simple haircut as far as i know anyway yeah they kept their whole hair quite short i think or something something like that like a bowl cut yeah uh, and then but you then got... you look at pictures of oliver cromwell and he doesn't have a bowl cut so no so uh in this period of time so a lot of men had long hair uh, or wigs. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's very stylized. But anyway, so we've got the the roundheads and the cavaliers um, that um, started fighting. So a civil war broke out um, between the the monarchists, essentially, and the parliamentarians. Um, the parliamentarians were led by a chap called Oliver Cromwell, which we'll go into a bit more detail about later on. Um, I'm really sad that I share my name with this man because he's not a fun man. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, we'll 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 go. We'll talk about Cromwell later on. So I'm not going to go into huge details, but in a nutshell, um, the royalists lost 
okay so they mm. there was lots of fighting they were they lost and um charles was basically on the run now he was um he people were looking for him they wanted his blood okay yeah so he was the figurehead of the royalists and all the the establishment and what it meant so he he had to surrender okay and in 19 uh sorry in 1646 um he did so the army drew up uh, a basically a proposal and a list of suggestions for a settlement with charles so it wasn't um it was going to be diplomatic at first okay um yeah charles basically was like i am not agreeing with any of this like no <laughs> it's not happening and uh, a second civil war broke out after that because the peace was coming in but then all of a sudden he was like no i'm not doing it and then a second civil war uh broke out and um long story short cromwell defeated charles's army a second time at the battle of preston in 1648 mm. and parliament put the king up for treason um which is which is something i've always found really strange because treason to me and to most people it's um you know going against a monarch or a king or a queen like you know doing something so so bad to a monarch and then you can then put the actual monarch themselves up for for high treason it's a little bit of a, um, a paradox a hippocratic you know uh, paradox it's uh it's a, it's a strange old uh war the english civil war mm. uh, yeah I, it took me a while to get my head around as well um they basically had to try for something and treason was the one that fitted the most um he was an enemy mm. of the people he was an enemy of the country um he was seen as unfit to rule um so he was yeah he was basically called um a tyrant a traitor a murderer he was public enemy number 1 um to the commonwealth mm. of england okay so fast forward a little bit more um he mm -hmm. was due to be executed so they he had this trial um which he didn't turn up for the first one because he was so like, no you can't put me on trial i am the king i'm the king yeah <laughs> yeah why like what is anyway he was forced to go to this trial and he was apparently he was really obnoxious to them all um and he was like, well, you can't do this anyway. Like, what are you doing? Like, and when when this is all sorted out, you're all losing your heads, right? All of you, like, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, so he was charged, and he was found guilty, um, and he was going to be beheaded. Okay, and he was going to be beheaded outside the banqueting house in Whitehall, which part of it is still there. Okay, so you can see that in London to this day. It's very built up around it, so it's kind of not the same mm. as it would have been. Um, Charles was given three days to put his affairs in order and sort of say goodbye to his family. Um, he... Wow. Yeah. So after the trial, he was taken uh, by a sedan chair to the short distance at his rooms at Whitehall Palace. So it was all still quite comfortable at this point. And mm. he probably didn't believe that it was going to happen. It was all talk. Yeah. Um, 
so he refused to see anyone apart from his children um and then he was moved to St James's Palace which is also still there um Charles spent mm. the the following day sort of burning his papers praying quite a lot and um saying quite sad farewells to his children um which is sad um who were young they yeah. were 9 and 11 so he was saying see you later um I'm going yeah. to yeah it was quite sad um very sad yeah yeah so on the morning of uh Tuesday the 30th of January the the king um got dressed um and it was cold outside um so he asked for a thicker jumper than normal um so basically people wouldn't see him shiver when he was going to go into the uh, going to the chopping block mm. because he didn't want them to think that he was scared so he wrapped himself up really warm so he wouldn't start shaking mm. um so yeah i mean it must have been uh, if you know you're you're literally walking to your death it must be terrifying um yeah i mean the two shirt things is something i'm i've heard before and it it kind of shows the human side of this guy cuz obviously we all know that king charles was a pretty bad king and he made a lot of mistakes but to hear that he you know, he was feeling the cold and he said goodbye to his kids and makes it's it all real. very, makes it really real. Yeah. And it's um, a sad end to a, uh, probably quite a troubled man, maybe. Mm. Uh, he was um, sort of ready to go um, and he, he was ba- he was taken back to Whitehall Palace to await his summons to the scaffold. Okay. Mm. So, um he actually had to walk across the floor of the banqueting hall um, beneath like the ceilings and the ornate decoration and stuff that he'd put in place. So they made wow. him walk through sort of his creation before he was put to his death. So a huge wow. crowd had gathered in the bitter weather. Um, but there were so many people there and the, the, the scaffolding was kind of... Uh, it, Although people wanted to see a king die in, they kind of, they thought if they put it further away, then they, it wouldn't be as gruesome as sort of the, the ones that you can get really up close to. Um, it was seen mm. as a bit more dignified. I don't know how, yeah. but anyway, it did. <laughs> so there was a scaffolding erected around a uh, banqueting house um, uh, and there was a black cloth hung around it to make it seem a bit more ornate. Um, in the centre of the um, of the scaffolding, there stood an axe and a chopping block. Two men, so the executioners, were heavily disguised with masks. Um, it said that it was really hard to find people to do it because mm. people, although, well, yeah. although they knew he was a traitor or he was tried as a traitor and he was seen as guilty by the English courts, he was still the king. Like, you mm. were go- who was going to be responsible for killing the king? Um, so, yeah, yeah, it took them a long time to find someone. But anyway, they had two uh, two people with, who were heavily disguised. Um, the, the king had his hair, he had long, long dark hair, he had his hair sort of bound up quite tight in a white nightcap. Um, he took off his cap and he laid down. Um, 
he told the executioner that he'd like to say a short prayer and then he would give the signal when he's ready. So after a little pause, uh, after saying the prayer silently, um, he stretched out his hand and the axe fell, um, severing his head in one clean blow. Wow. Yeah. Sad. Many watching were aghast. So normally when somebody had their head cut off, it was kind of a day out. People would cheer and Mm. scream and and boo the traitor. But this was a king. And it was said that the whole crowd gasped. Like there was, it was silent after that. They didn't realize what they'd just done. Um, and then there were groans and started, people started crying and it was, it was, uh, must have just been horrible. It wasn't the, it mm. sounds wrong to describe it like this, but it probably wasn't the party atmosphere. That, that they were expecting. Yeah. People were horrified what they'd just done. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it kind of, it, I mean, if anyone's listening, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Charles I is the only monarch of of england or britain to to be publicly executed so it's this is there's no there's no precedent for this this isn't oh he he was a bad king so we killed him like it wasn't like oh this has happened before this is completely new territory yeah and that probably shocked people quite profoundly people were horrified um Mm. It's like when you kind of think that you've got you're going to have a reaction to something and you have a completely different reaction to it um, when it actually happens. So, um, I mean, after his execution, um, he uh, basically England became a Commonwealth. Um, so Parliament ruled on their own um, by Oliver Cromwell, who again I'll talk about a le- le- later on. Um, and he mm. ruled as Lord Protector. That was his title. Um, yeah. So it was a shambles, really. It was. It was. It, it was a shock. No one had ever seen this happen, ever mm. before. Yeah. So again, we've we've touched on the world famous name that is Oliver Cromwell, who was one of the uh, parliamentary leaders during the Civil War, with people like Thomas Fairfax, and he. From my understanding, he is kind of the creator of the the new model army. So Cromwell was the first guy to get an army to wear red, which I think is a really cool little fact about Cromwell, um, because red was cheap at the time. Uh, hence why the the red coats of of Britain, you know, stayed red for so long. But um, I wonder if you could go into just a little bit more detail about who Oliver Cromwell was. Why does he have this negative stereo kind of negative um, image? Um, and was he really that bad? So Oliver Cromwell was possibly one of the most hated figures in British history. <laughs> um, I'd say that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So he was uh, he was born in Huntingdon um, and he died in London. Um, he was essentially an English soldier first, who then became a statesman. Um, he was a, a, a parliamentarian and he was also a Puritan. So uh, I've touched on it a little bit earlier, but uh, Puritans, uh, kind of what it says on the tin, it's 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 non-excessive um, things that you don't need in your life. Like, as long as you've got the basics, you're okay. Yeah. 
um just sort of be a be a good christian and be good to your fellow man although i'm not entirely sure that oliver Cromwell was that good to his fellow man anyway (laughs) a lot of people died under cromwell um from the other side he thought that he was doing the right thing he thought that he was um sort of getting rid of all this nonsense between uh, Catholic Protestant royalty, like it was them that were sparking up the issues, it wasn't the the, the people of 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 England, uh, Ireland and Scotland and Wales, it wasn't them, it was the royals. So he mm. believed by getting rid of the royals or sort of whipping up a uh, an army to get rid of the royals that actually he was doing the right thing. Um, Oliver Cromwell... Uh, became Lord Protector after Charles was beheaded. Um, Which is really... What's really ironic here is he became almost more powerful than a king had ever been, okay? Mm. So whereas uh, a king had to sort of uh, answer to his parliament, like he was... Like Oliver Cromwell was the head of parliament and that was it. There was no sort of... Of, uh, a mix in between uh, monarchy and 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 uh, previous to that, like the Roman Catholic Church, there was none of that. He had full control, so he was basically king mm. in all but name. Um, yeah, you. He banned everything that was fun, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> singing, dancing, drinking excessively. Now, drinks were allowed, but it was only um, on a very low scale. Uh, Christmas, now not Christmas as we know it now, but Christmas as a uh, as a holiday, like you wouldn't celebrate the birth of Jesus, all of that kind of stuff. Easter, that went, um, it was quite dull, um, which is why sort of when his sort of period of time ended and the the merry monarch came in later who I will talk about on a different episode but that's why he was so welcomed um after Cromwell but Cromwell his his funeral for example was on a much bigger scale than a king's had ever been it was huge mm. uh, it was over the top it was lavish it wasn't very puritan um so Oliver Cromwell sort of comes across to me as a bit of a um, bit of a cheater, a bit of a liar. So it's almost like, yeah, look at yeah. look at what I'm doing. I'm a Puritan. Oh wait, look, I'm pretty much king now. Da-da! Like, I am yeah. the winner. Um, and that's how a lot of people see Cromwell um, as yeah. this sort of boring guy that was power hungry and dared to take on the king. So I'm not mm. going to talk too much more about Cromwell because I'm not a fan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's he's had enough airtime. So, I mean, if you've got yeah. any thoughts on Cromwell, then please, please share. Yeah, I mean, my my thoughts of Cromwell are a little bit different. I do agree that he's, you know, overall a bad person that did bad things. I think what he did in Ireland is unforgivable and he kind of continues that relationship between England and Ireland that has plagued these two countries for, you know, nearly a thousand years. Um, and he's he's definitely a big part of the, the issues that the two countries have. And I think with Cromwell as well, I think maybe it was the way I was taught it, but he was... We, we see Cromwell as this figurehead 
of this standalone character that was out on his own, doing this on his own, off his own back. He hated the king. He wanted to kill the king. He wanted to be the king. But realistically, I think a lot of the a lot of what we don't realize or, or we choose not to realize maybe when we learn it or we're taught it, this was a lot of people, a lot of Puritan, proper militant military men who were puritanical after the Civil War that saw Cromwell as a as an instrument, as a tool to further their cause because he was a military man. Um, he was um, he was a Puritan. I don't think he was the worst of the Puritans, and I know a lot of his his barons and his kind of sheriffs were the ones that really enforced the no singing, no drinking, no dancing, certainly no Christmas. Um, but he certainly could have been the, he could have been more of a centrist and, and certainly brought the two sides back together. But he, he, he was an asshole to say the least, but I think there were certainly other men around in that time that were as bad, if not worse. And But we kind of give it all to Cromwell because he's the name we know. Yeah, and that's quite um, obvious in history. A lot of people are used as uh, like a figurehead. So again, like uh, Guy Fawkes was that figurehead in mm. that sort of scenario. Oliver Cromwell is the figurehead in this scenario. Now, I haven't researched Cromwell hugely, mainly because he doesn't interest me in the slightest. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot that I don't know and that I'm wrong about. So I'm I'm sort of doing it from 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 memory from school basically what I've been taught. So maybe that's mm. something that I need to look into as well. But yeah, we're going to leave it there with Cromwell. It's a good place to stop, I think, cuz next episode it, it you know, it, it all kind of changes again. It's a real period of turmoil. Yes. So this episode as I said is going to be split, so we are um we're going to end part 1 here um chris it's that time again if you want to plug anything please do um the floor is yours awesome you know i like to plug and now we're together so the plug works for both of us um but as usual you can find me uh, at chris riley underscore on instagram um and also now the history corner has its own instagram page which is uh, at the history corner blog um where we will be posting all of the articles, our book reviews, etc., etc., that um, come out on the site, and they will all get posted directly to there. Um, and also, if you would like to contribute to the History Corner, um, I implore you to uh, get in touch, whether it's through Instagram, through mine, or the Corner's Instagram, or you could email us um, at thehistorycornerinfo uh, at gmail.com. You can find all that through the website. Uh, if you would like to. Um, we're also taking um, photo submissions at the moment as well. Uh, anybody who's got historical photos of, you know, buildings, of museums, you know, places they've been on holiday, um, we are going to start to showcase a little bit of uh, people's photography on the site uh, and, you know, spread the love a little bit that way. But um, thanks again for having me. Um, I have definitely learned a lot. Um, and we, dil- we do still hate Oliver Cromwell. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, yeah. So the historycorner.org is um, in my link tree. You'll find that on my Instagram. So there's going to be a lot of links between my work and uh, the historycorner.org's work. Now, um, you would have heard a little bit of a trailer for it at the beginning of this episode um, of me trying to speak in a 1920s voice. Um, I'm, I don't care if it sounds rubbish. I like doing it. So <laughs> that's um, <laughs> it's staying. Uh, yeah, I wish a lot of people spoke like that still but yes the the historycorner.org go and check that out and continue to share the love absolutely done